Perhaps you feel it. Maybe earlier this week you thought it was the cool weather, only to be disappointed today. Or perhaps today you were excited because the cool weather had gone away. Regardless, the something that seems magical about this time of the year has nothing to do with the weather. In fact, Edward Pola and George Weil wrote a song declaring that this is indeed the most wonderful time of the year. Contrary to their assertions, it's not the most wonderful time of the year merely because the kids jingle belling or everyone telling you to be of good cheer. It's not the most wonderful time of the year because of the holiday greetings or the gay happy meetings when friends come to call nor is it the most wonderful time of the year for the parties for hosting, the marshmallows for toasting, or the caroling out in the heat. <laughs> no, what makes this time of year seemingly magical really revolves and centers on this child. This child whom for long ago was foretold and since whom all of history has looked back to. In fact, our history is literally divided around his birth. And so I want to be clear tonight, the childlike wonder about this time of the year, the, the seemingly something magical about Christmas, is not some mig uh, figment of our imagination. No, we've gathered tonight not to recount some heartwarming story that's similar to what happens when children get lost in a wardrobe. We've not gathered tonight to, to think about and to focus on a story that's kind of like a hobbit with a ring somewhere in Middle Earth. No, we're celebrating a real birth that took place in a real city in a real moment in time and has real implications for your life and for mine. I wonder, I wonder how all of the promises of this time of the year, I wonder how they hit you. I mean, all of the promises of joy. Are you joyful? All of the promises of peace. Do you know peace? All of the promises of hope, of love, are these things foreign to you? And do we come to this time of the year merely hoping that somehow the circumstances of life will be different so that we can experience some of those things? I believe what the Bible would tell us is that regardless of our circumstances, those things can be experienced. And they can be experienced because of a real birth that happened in a real city at a real moment in time. And for us to rightly understand how they can be experienced, we must go back to the beginning. Not to the beginning of this service, not to the beginning of when Jesus was born, but to the very beginning. Where we find this child, not in human form, we find him with God creating. That's what the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 3. It tells us that he was there with God at the beginning and he was creating. Colossians 1 will remind us 
that for by him all things were created. And so some of the awe and the wonder is that this child that we behold, that we consider lying in a manger, is also the God through whom all things were created. And after the creation of the world, as we see in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, the first man and woman do what every one of us in this room have done multiple times. They sin against the God they were created for and that they are accountable to. And when they sin, when they turn away from God, when they turn away from his ways, everything changes. And because Adam and Eve rebelled in this way, their lineage, all who follow, do the same. From the oldest one in here to the youngest one. All of us do the same. By our nature, we are at war with the God who created us and the God to whom we are accountable to. And maybe you think, well, I'm not that bad. Well, to be clear, for some, the war against God will show itself in complete rebellion, a refusal to acknowledge Him or to submit to His ways. And yet for others, it will be through trying to control Him based on our good works. We think, if I can just do enough, whether it's through self-indulgence or whether it's through self-righteousness, whether it's through willfully ignoring God or trying to put God in, in your debt by thinking that somehow your good works are going to earn something from Him. When that first act of willful rebellion happened, everything changed. Humanity, which was once at peace with God, was now at war with God. Humanity, which was once at peace with one another and had peace within ourselves, now at war with one another. And in angst, even among ourselves. Humanity, which once shared God's favor and his loving presence forever, through this act of sin, this act of rebellion, this act of turning away from God and his ways, forfeited his favor and earned his wrath, forfeited his presence forever in joy to his unrelenting wrath in agony. And what's interesting is if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, when that first unthinkable act of rebellion happened, God made a promise then. He made a promise then that a son would come. A son would be born from a woman who would indeed defeat sin. And that promise that was made in Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning it continues, and if we even read the first two-thirds of the Bible, is all about this anticipating this fulfillment of the promise spread out over generations and for centuries, a promise that a son was coming. And this is exactly what we've unpacked in our Advent celebrations even this year. This promise in Isaiah chapter 9 that we read about 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And so as we turn our attention to this sleepy little town, to these unknown, lowly, peasant parents, young Mary and young Joseph, when this child born in a manger in that town to these parents, when that happens, Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, records this. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before the shepherds that were in the region. And the glory of the Lord shone around those angels. They were terribly affrighted. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is well pleased. And so what appears to be some obscure birth gets heavenly attention. And we begin to follow the breadcrumb that was left beginning in Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the birth of this one. And we see all of the promises are fulfilled in this one. We see even at his birth the angelic proclamation You and I, when we read this, we're meant to feel the weight of this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. This king, this promised one, has come to bring peace. Our world, loaded down with sorrow, with sin, with suffering, This king has come to bring peace. Our world, which is not the way that it should be, nor that it was created to be, peace has come. Peace has come. And you say, well, how has peace come? Well, fundamentally, peace has come for the very thing that we were created to do we now are able to have peace with God. What sin ruined, God in great grace and mercy has restored. This is the good news of the birth of Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that all of us, that we're enemies of God, Ephesians chapter 2, James chapter 4, because we're enemies, we're alienated, we're separated from God. That we've all run from God turning to ourselves and turning away from God. And the beauty of Christmas, the beauty of this baby lying in a manger is the declaration. It's loud. It's meant to remind us that while we were yet running away from God, God in great mercy and grace has shown up to pursue us. 
you may feel forgotten this Christmas, I want to remind you that God has pursued. He has shown up. You in all your sin can have peace with God. And you say, well, how in the world is that possible? It's because of this baby that's lying in a manger. It's because of this promised king. You see, this king is unlike any other king and every other king. He's unlike any other king and every other king in several ways. Number one is he, he never sinned. He never once did what was wrong. He would live his life perfectly righteous. And we all would say, I want to be a part of the rule and the reign. I want to belong to the rule and the reign of a king who's perfect. But it wasn't just that he lived the perfect life. This king would die a death that was reserved for the worst of criminals. This king dies the death that all those who commit treason against him are deserving to die. So this king is perfect in that he never sins. This king is un unthinkable in his grace because he dies a death that's reserved for those who commit treason against him, who will not bow. And he takes on the penalty for those that are guilty. Why does he do this? To bring us peace with God. And the Bible makes this clear all throughout the gospel accounts that you follow this one who would come in human form, born of a virgin, born to Mary, to Joseph, would then live the perfect life, the life that you and I should have lived, would die the death that was reserved for those who had committed treason against a holy God, would absorb his wrath. You say, why would he do that? Why would he live that life and die that death? He would do that so that those who didn't live that life and who, was, who were deserving of that death so that we could know what it's like to be at peace with God. He did that because he's a pursuing and merciful and gracious and loving God. You say, that sounds good, but this king sounds almost like every other king whose story ends with them in the grave. Not this king. This king does something that no other king has ever done. He defeats humanity's biggest and most frightful enemy, the enemy of sin and death. On the third day, after he had stopped breathing, he gets up, raises from the dead, showing that he has the power to do exactly what he said he would do, and he holds the keys to life and death in his hands. 
And so this king who lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve and defeated the enemy that we could not defeat. This is why Christmas is such good news is because we're celebrating the coming of that king. And it's not merely something to be heard about. It's something to be experienced personally. You have opportunity to be at peace with God because of the work of this good king. The question isn't, did you one time say a prayer? It's not, did you get dunked in water at one point? The question is, do you bow your knee in submission to him and to him alone? And if the answer is no, the good news is that you can tonight. In a season that's all about getting gifts, you can receive the most stunning gift the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of peace with God. The Bible says that if you would turn from your sin, stop trying to work to earn something from God, but turn from your sin and place your faith and your trust in the work of Jesus alone, that sinless life, that death on the cross in your place, that resurrection on the third day, that if you would turn from your works and trust in His works, then you can know what it's like to be at peace with God. And if that's something that you do, if that's something you have questions about, would you talk to anyone? Talk to anyone in this room, talk to anyone in your family. For some reason, no one knows any answers. Go online and find us. Send us a a postcard, a pigeon, somehow. Get in touch with us. We would love to talk to you about this. Have you ever been haunted by guilt or worry or anxiety? You ever wrestled with confusion? God has sent his son so that you would know peace. And the way that you know peace within and the way that you know peace with others, it all flows from being at peace with God. And it doesn't mean that if you're at peace with God, then you're going to have no, no problems and no troubles on this earth. No, in fact, in John chapter John chapter. Uh, 16, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. But you have the promise of his Holy Spirit not leaving you or forsaking you as you walk through difficult days. And here's the good news. The good news for a time like this when family kind of converges together. And let's be honest, sometimes the convergence is, it's supposed to be a lot of joy. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's not always that. And if you're like, I have no clue what he's talking about, talk to your family and say, am I, am I the reason that I have no clue what But here's the thing, when you realize that the God of the universe has loved you despite your weaknesses and that he's loved you despite your sins committed against him, peace with another is now possible. As you're compelled to think, how how might I respond to another in a similar way that Christ has responded to me? Romans chapter 12, do your best to live at peace with everyone. And so if I can just encourage you to not let the next few days go 
by without addressing potentially a lack of peace you feel with those that you love. I pray that you would go to great lengths to bring about peace with others. And it would be a reminder of just the lengths, the great lengths that Christ took so that you would have peace with him. He came to bring us peace, but the good news about that announcement there on, uh, in the fields in Luke chapter 2 is not merely that there would be peace. The announcement, the, the host of angels began to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Before there's peace on earth, it is glory to God in the highest. And so this is a good reminder for us. He came to bring peace to us, but he came to bring glory to God. And those two things go together. Peace in this world will ultimately bring praise to God, and peace in this world will ultimately flow from from our glorifying God. And so let me just state it this way. If you don't feel like you have much peace in your life this Christmas, the key to peace in your life is praise to this God. The peace of God comes through the praise of God. Christmas traditions don't bring peace. Religious traditions and religious routines don't bring peace. Peace with God is a reality. It's a reality in our souls. And it's been my prayer, even thinking this week, that you would know peace with God. And that you would be able to find true praise of God. And that that would be primary. And so I want to ask you, have you put your hope and your trust, have you put your life in the hands of of this good king who reigns and rules perfectly. And if not, I would invite you to turn from yourself and from anything else that you would look to and turn to Christ alone as the only way to have peace with God and to bring glory to the one who's deserving. What child is this? We're about to sing that song. It was in the announcement that the angel said, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This child is a Savior. This child is Lord. It is impossible to embrace this child as Savior if you do not embrace this child as Lord. I I, I want you to hear that. This child and his reign and his rule, it's not about saying at one point in my life I bowed my knee in submission, but now, yeah, not so much. No, it's about embracing him. If we want the benefits of his saving grace, then we have to submit to his sovereign rule. They go together. We cannot know him as Savior if we refuse him as Lord. And so the good news is that Christmas, it really is a gospel. It really is good news for sinners. Because of all that Christ has done in his life and on the cross, then the manger becomes the most hopeful place in a universe darkened with hopelessness. Christmas really is for those who find it hard to find joy. 
If Christmas for you is not this, I pray that you would be able to know when we sing in a few moments, O Holy Night. There's a line where we'll sing that, say, that says, O Holy Night. It says, the, when he appeared, the soul felt its worth. If you feel worthless tonight, I just want you to know that in Christ will be the only place that you find true, satisfying worth. In Christ is where you'll only be able to live as you were created for glorifying and enjoying our Creator. And so I'm going to pray, and as I pray, when I say amen, if you'll stand, if you'll take your candle, we'll begin to fill this room with, with candlelight. And I just want to remind you as we sing these last two songs, what child is this? He's a Savior, and He's Lord. He's come so that you would know peace and so that God would receive glory. And then we'll sing, O Holy Night, just reminding us of the marvel and the awe and the wonder of what happened on that night. But I just want you to know that we don't have to leave the awe and the marvel back then. This birth changes everything. And I pray that you would embrace that this Christmas. Let's pray.